we are swimming through what I call the culture scape, this tangled web of beliefs and ideas and meanings and policies and rules and identifications that are made up often by people no smarter than us generations ago in a very different time of human society. But we take these things to be true. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Now, before we get started with this podcast, big news for all of you who've been following me for several years. As you know, my first book was called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, and it became a runaway hit. It hit number one on Amazon globally, as in becoming number one book in the world for about five days in 2017. Thank you to all of you who supported that book. And because of that, because The Code of the Extraordinary Mind went so far, got translated into 25 language, I got my second book offer. And my second book is called The Buddha and the Badass, and I cannot wait to get it in your hands. Now, The Buddha and the Badass explores one of the things I'm most known for, and that is how do we bring our spiritual nature, the power of our mind, into that place which so far seems to shy away from spirituality, and that is the workplace. You see, so many workplaces are obsessed with productivity hacks and other things to get more done in less time. I believe the ultimate hack is tapping into your spirit or your soul. And so what I do in The Buddha and the Badass is to show you how to unify these two archetypes. First, the archetype of the Buddha, the spiritual master. And second, the archetype of the badass, the person who wants to go out there and shake things and make a dent in the universe and change things. This book is really about channeling your inner Steve Jobs. And if you find these ideas interesting, check out The Buddha and the Badass. Now, that's not all. All this week, as the book launches, the book comes out June 9th by Penguin Random House. All this week, as the book is emerging, if you pre-order, there is a ton of incredible bonuses for you. And, you know, every author says bonuses, but... Given I have Mind Valley and we produce the number one programs in the world in pretty much every aspect of personal growth, what I'm doing is I'm going to give away our most expensive program of the year. It's called Be Extraordinary at Work. The program is going to be coming out in July. I'm going to be giving that away. It's a $4.99 program if you buy five copies of the book. So five copies of the book are about just over 100 bucks. Unfortunately, this offer is only valid for those of you in the U.S. and Canada for now. If you are outside the U.S. and Canada, you will have to email. But you will get Mindvalley's most expensive program, Be Extraordinary at Work, completely free for five copies of the book. And if you just want one copy, that's not a problem as well. There are other great bonuses. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash Buddha Badass. Again, that's mindvalley.com forward slash Buddha Badass. And I can't wait to get this in your hands. Now, back to the Mindvalley podcast. Welcome back to the Mind Valley Podcast. Today's episode is a reverse interview. This is when I am on someone else's show and I'm being asked the questions. And this show is something called The Conscious-ish Show with Mia Lux. So Mia Lux is a comedian of consciousness. In other words, she delivers some of the most hilarious monologues on personal growth and shifting consciousness. But what is unique about her is that her comedy is not just funny, but it's positive, it's uplifting, it lights you up. And that's so different from so much of the comedy out there. So I was truly honored to be on Mia's show. And what you're going to hear here is the interview between me and Mia, where she talks about 
key ideas from my spiritual philosophy, including the six-phase meditation, how to escape the culture scape, and how to deal with people who are just jerks in our growth and awakening, which is a part to truly becoming unfuckwithable. So it's funny. It is entertaining, and I think there'll also be some really powerful ideas here. Now, if you find this interesting, you might want to watch the full episode with Mia's comedy routine at the start. I'm going to give you that link at the end of this podcast. Let's get started with Becoming Extraordinary, Vishen Lakhiani and Mia Lux on The Conscious-ish Show. Welcome to The Conscious-ish Show. I'm Mia Lux. And tonight's theme is a really easy one. It's just something really light. Uh, the meaning of life. <laughs> the nature of reality. How to become extraordinary. Now we can look at things like, like how do we spend so much of our life just on autopilot? Doing things simply because like, well, that's what you do, you know? You go to school, get a job, marry a human, buy a house, have a baby, get a TV, diabetes, and die! <laughs> it's the American dream. But instead, how do we consciously, or at least conscious-ishly, create meaningful and extraordinary lives? Or in the words of my guest tonight, Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mindvalley and best-selling author of Code of the Extraordinary Mind, how do we shake off what he calls brules, bullshit rules, and become, also in his words, unfuckwithable? In fact, Vishen calls his work personal disruption because it goes towards the very core of shaking you up and revolutionizing your entire relationship with reality and demanding that you take responsibility for your role in creating it. Vishen Lakhiani, he is the founder of transformational education company Mindvalley that has millions and millions of students and amazing live experiences all around the world. He's the New York Times bestselling author of Code of the Extraordinary Mind. And as an international speaker and activist, all of his work ultimately goes towards revolutionizing and evolving the core systems education, well-being, politics, work culture that push humanity's future forward. He's here tonight to help me answer the question, how do we break free from all the rules, the bullshit rules in our life, and create a truly extraordinary existence? Thank you so much, Vishen, for coming on the show. Oh, God, you are hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Before I start, I have been wanting to tell you this. I don't know if you know, but I listen to your six-phase meditation every day for two years. Like, first thing I did was I put my headphones in and let your voice into my brain. And uh, it was super helpful, but mm -hmm. I've been reading all these articles recently about top athletes and, you know, like music, music stars, people who use your meditation, who swear by it. So how does it feel to know, like, millions of people every day put your voice into their deep subconscious mind? Like, what does that feel like? The power? You know? Are you thinking of starting a cult? Like, what's going to happen? Well, firstly, I have started a cult. <laughs> Accidentally. No, but, but so often, I'm at Starbucks. I'm at Starbucks. I'm ordering my coffee. And the person behind me is like, I recognize your voice. <laughs> right? And then, and then the Starbucks barista asks me for my name, and I say it, and then they misspell it. And then the person at the back is like, no, it's spelled vision. <laughs> like, they get defensive. Wow. Well, it's a very personal thing. I mean, I remember feeling very close to you because, you know, every single word, every single day, I mean, it's a very powerful thing you do. Now, that's, that's just the least of the work that you do, you know, with, with Mindvalley, with your educational products, with your live events. I mean, it really is quite amazing. But, you know, one of the things I've loved most is how you've really come up with these new ideas. So I want to start by talking about this concept you invented. Okay. One of what, like 20 words you invented? 
called Culturescape. Mm -hmm. So what is the Culturescape and why do we need to be aware of it? Okay, so human beings are multidimensional creatures. In other words, we don't just live in the physical world. This chair, this is physical, this weird pineapple thing <laughs> is, is physical, but we also live in a, in, in a world of ideas, of constructs. And this world of ideas of constructs is programmed in our head. What makes us unique, different from animals, is that human beings have the faculty of knowledge. And knowledge allows us to create things that are not physical, but that we understand. Concepts such as God, gratitude, love, passion. Those are not things you can hold on to, but we have a meaning of these words in our head. Right Now what happens is that when you take this whole massive collection, this web of rituals, beliefs, ideas, words, and you merge them together, you find that like a fish is swimming through water but doesn't understand it's in water, we are swimming through what I call the culturescape, this tangled web of beliefs and ideas and meanings and policies and rules and identifications that are made up often by people no smarter than us generations ago in a very different time of human society. But we take these things to be true. We confuse what is physical, absolute truth, like this pineapple is made of wood, but spray painted by Mia Koning, looks, <laughs> to what is completely made up, right? And this is where we get into these silly arguments about tax rates and whose God is better and what is appropriate behavior when you're sitting down with cutlery. It's a real thing, Vishen. It's a real thing. It's right? a real so, thing. So that is what the culturescape is about. It's that tangled web of rules, ideas, and beliefs that we swim around. And some of these rules make sense. Some of these rules are what I call rules right, or I love bullshit this idea. rules. Right. And there are so many bullshit rules about the world right now that we blindly follow. It drives me nuts. So, so tell me about rules because, I, I mean, when I heard this, I was like, Yes! Like, I think so many people resonate with this idea, like, we've been following rules, they don't make sense, what are they? Can you give us an example of a rule from your life, something that maybe you grew up with that you busted from? Ooh. Okay, so many. So many rules. So, I'm going to give you several examples, okay? Just from the past one week. Wow. So, one rule is how we are conditioned to parent. So as you know, one of the teachers that we publish in Mind Valley is Shafali Sabari. She came up with the idea of conscious parenting. And conscious parenting basically said that your kids are not owned by you. Like, what a radical idea. Your kids are not owned by you. Your job is to keep them safe, but to learn from them as much as they learned from you. And conscious parenting is really about discipline-free parenting. So I went from, because I'm brown, obviously I'm, I'm Indian. I grew up in a culture where parenting is about power over a little human being to understanding conscious parenting, where parenting is a two-way street. So that's one rule that was busted. Another rule is marriage. I came to realize that marriage is such a crazy, silly, pointless idea. What, owning another person? Like for the, forever, and <laughs> forever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. It tied so, to property originally. It didn't evolve out right. of this concept of needing to know who your children came from so you can inherit property. It was a whole construct. Right. So. Now, when you dismantle a rule, there must be a better idea that you can put forward, right? So, in terms of parenting, what I like to look at is conscious parenting. In terms of marriage, what I like to look at is Gary Zukov's model of spiritual partnerships. In the book, Seed of the Soul, in 1989, Gary Zukov spoke about how marriage is becoming an obsolete institution. Human lifespans are increasing. Women are starting to earn almost as much as men. In some countries like Finland, more than men. Women do not need a man to support them. And why do people believe that they need to stay together forever and ever and ever and ever and ever till they die? 
it doesn't make sense anymore. What if you stayed with someone as long as you're both growing? And after seven or eight or nine or 10 years, or even after one year, if you decide you need to part ways, you part ways without pain, without agony, without the blame game. So you recreate it. So the original rule is, if you want to be together, you have to be together forever. Mm-hmm. That's the rule, the rule. Right. And then you replace it with a new rule, which is something like... If you want to be together, be together. But at a certain point, if you feel you're no longer growing, it is okay to separate. We call that a conscious uncoupling, in the words of Catherine Woodward Thomas. And you celebrate the other person. And you celebrate what you built over that number of years. And you do it with love, with compassion, and with care. I mean, that sounds really important because you know, 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. Right. And the only story told about divorce is you failed, you, you know, you, you're a bad person. There's so much, there's shame, there's blame. Yeah. You have to villainize the other person to feel good yeah. about yourself. So you can sort of change how society goes forward by changing the rules. Exactly. And by understanding, there's this famous video of Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs says this. He said, when you wake up, you start to understand that the world around you was made up by people no smarter than you. And you can change things, you can shape things, you can, you can poke things. And when you understand this, your life will never be the same again. Most people blindly follow. There's a term for that, memetics and social conditioning. We blindly follow. You want to know what else I, I just don't understand about the world? Why is it that we choose one religion? Does anyone here remember the day you were allowed to choose your religion? In some countries, you have to be Muslim by law. In the country I'm born in, if you are raised in a Muslim family, you have to be Muslim or you go to jail. Where do we come up with this nonsense? I believe we need to take all religions, mix them together, sort of make a religious stew, (laughs) and then pepper it, add the spices that we want, and create our own religion. So instead of just blindly following something you were handed down, intentionally choose what makes sense for you. Right. So let's talk about that, because that's easier said than done. So once you start looking around and realizing like, oh my God, I'm in the culture scape, my life is dominated by these rules that I don't like, I mean, what's the step to waking up and getting out of that? Like, what can you do? So the first thing you got to understand is that you're not alone. You're completely not alone. Remember that Apple ad, that famous Macintosh ad, here's to the rebels, the mavericks, the round pegs in the square hole, the people who see things differently. You can vilify them, you can insult them, but one thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. The people who are changing the world, who are pushing the boundaries of what it means to be human, are all breaking the rules. Now, in everyone who breaks the rules is going to have people chastise them, Mm -hmm. speak badly of them, because you make other people uncomfortable, because you rock the boat. But that's the only way for mankind to move forward. Whether you're rocking the religious boat, or you're rocking the marriage boat, or you're rocking the sexuality boat, or you're rocking the consciousness parenting boat. It's the people who rock the boat who actually move us all forward because they spread, they expand the culture scape. They help us escape the web and see things that we never knew possible. I mean, I love that. It's, it's so inspirational to think about that. And I remember when I would hear you speak you know, five years ago and hear this and be like, oh, I want to do that. And it often felt really intimidating. Like in my daily life, like coming up against my friends or my family who were still in the cultural scape, still believed right. in rules. Even though I was so inspired, finding practical ways to change how I was was really challenging. That's where your idea of consciousness engineering really helped me. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk about this idea of we have models of reality and systems for living and you can upgrade them. Right. 
Could you give us like just a 101 on you know, someone who wants to break the rules, wants to step up? How do they practically upgrade how they are and how they behave to do that? So what makes us grow? Okay, if you think about what truly makes a human being grow, it's two things. You take on a new belief system. So I took on a new belief system on marriage. I took on a new belief system on parenting. When I was a young boy growing up in an Indian family, I believed that I had to marry an Indian girl and that my parents would introduce me to her. How did that work out? <laughs> <laughs> because no, that was a cultural rule. I ended up marrying a white girl, right? An Estonian woman. And I remember people in my family that were so upset by that. They couldn't understand why I would marry a white person. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, I was conditioned as a child to see life, to see marriage. I also believed that I had to grow up to be an engineer. Because if you grow up in an Indian family, you're either an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, or a family failure. <laughs> so, so, so much of these rules are conditioned into us, mm -hmm. right? Now, the first thing is, all of these are beliefs. So the first thing is, your beliefs are implanted in you. Everything you believe about the world will become true to you. There's a lot of like, talk about this thing called the law of attraction. People misunderstand it. The universe doesn't give you what your dominant thoughts are. The universe, rather, will mirror back to you what you believe. So whatever you believe becomes real for you. There are so many studies on this. You can take someone, put them through hypnosis, and dramatically change the nature of their body. You spoke about people who have multiple personality disorder, mm -hmm. right? Their eyesight changes as they take on new personalities. There's another hypnotist I know who will hypnotize someone, hold up their hand, take a marker, tell this person it's a red-hot poker, put it on their skin, and a burn bubble will form. He'll then say, I'm going to heal this with my hand. He'll put his hand over it, the bubble disappears. Our beliefs literally can influence our physical body on the spot. Now, if it can influence our physical body to this degree, imagine what it does for everything else. Our careers, our job, our income, our definition of love. All of these are influenced by our beliefs, but what people fail to understand is that your beliefs, like the hard drive of your computer, are swappable. You can swap out a bad belief and swap in a more empowering belief. If you believe that love is painful, the right insight, the right wisdom, the right person might help you swap out that belief and swap in a more empowering belief that love can be enriching. So our beliefs are the first thing that help us grow. And the definition of wisdom is taking on new beliefs through life, through pain, through insight, so that's one way we grow. Now, the second way we grow is through our practices, our habits. I call these our systems for living. So I'm always looking at new systems to improve my memory, improve my intellect, to read better, to exercise better, to eat better, to parent better. And so as you study personal growth, what you're doing is, A, you're swapping out bullshit beliefs and taking in empowering beliefs, and B, you're learning new systems for living. You commented me on how I dress. That was the system. I actually hired a style coach to teach me how to frickin' go shopping. Because yeah, I had great. no idea. My definition of style was H&M. I remember you, you, know, you use this word as well for the systems of living, this idea of blissipine. Blissipline. Blissipline. Blissipline? Right. Blissipline. Yeah, like being in blissful discipline, right? R the discipline of things that make you blissful. Now you're making shit up. No. I don't know. <laughs> blissipline. Blissipline. You tell me. Blissipline simply means the discipline of bliss. It's recognizing, right. it's recognizing that our emotional states help us perform better in life, helps us 
truly understand our potential, right? Most people don't set goals for their personal states. Discipline is the act of setting goals for your personal state, having an intention that you want to wake up every day happy, joyful, with gratitude, that you want to be in a state of forgiveness for people who may have wronged you in the past. That is the definition of discipline. It says that the most important discipline is the discipline of protecting your own bliss. And would systems of living help to do that? Absolutely. Gratitude has been studied by scientists and it is the human characteristic with the single strongest correlation to well-being. There are systems for gratitude. There are systems for forgiveness. There are systems for increasing your compassion. All of these put you in higher and higher states of bliss. All right, so let's say we, we recognize, okay, we're in the culture scape. We're ruled by rules. We're going to start shaking them off by swapping out our dysfunctional beliefs with mm -hmm. good beliefs. We're going to take on amazing systems for living. We're going to be committed to discipline. How then do we deal with the rocking that creates? Like now we're in this position where we're like, we are rocking the boat and we are inspiring people, but we're also upsetting people. I know, you, you know you're very good at dealing with the flack that comes mm -hmm. your way, but it can be very challenging for people when they first step out of it, especially when their friends and family ostracize them. What advice do you have for people as they begin this journey for that really uncomfortable moment? So there's a word I use in my book, which I think is really, really, really relevant. The word is unfuckwithable. Now, I didn't coin that word. I wish I did. I would have made so much money. I would have started an <laughs> unfuckwithable line of T-shirts. But no, it was a meme that someone released on the internet. But the definition of unfuckwithable is basically this. It's where you are so comfortable with what you stand for, with who you are, that other people's criticism does not shake you. And likewise, other people's praise does not sway you. You may nod your head and go, thank you, I appreciate you saying that when someone praises you. But likewise, when someone criticizes you, you, you may say, thank you, I appreciate you saying that. I'll think about it. But you live your own life because your love for yourself, and this doesn't mean that you're an asshole or you don't love other people, but your appreciation and your love for yourself makes you solid and strong within your own beliefs. That is what being unfuckwithable means. And there are systems and beliefs to get you there. And what about, you know, Another thing that happens when we start this, we get inspired by your work. We're like, I'm going to do this. I'm doing the meditation. And we want to make everybody else do it with us. We become evangelists, you know, vision evangelists, which often pushes people away further. What is the best way to help bring up the people around us as well? People often ask, like, how do I get my family into it? How do I get my kids into it? What's your advice for that? You know, the best advice is to not push anyone, but to simply be a role model. I remember I tried to push my kid, seven, my seven-year-old son, to take on a gratitude practice before going to bed. Now, my seven-year-old son, Hayden, is like me. He questions everything. So within five or six days of trying to make him be grateful for something, <laughs> he started, like, toying with me. He's like, I'm grateful I took a poop today. <laughs> I'm like, Hayden, no, no, you don't, don't say that. Be serious. He's like, yeah, but I'm grateful I... I pooped today. So, and, then, and that's when I realized, seven days later, I realized that I'm not going to push my son to take a gratitude practice. You'd be grateful. <laughs> yes. I'm like, damn it, Hayden. Be grateful you have a great dad. Be grateful I, I paid for this house. It didn't work. So, so now all I do is I try to live my life with joy and happiness. And that reflects onto Hayden. So he knows that that is a default mode for living. So be more just of a role model, just live exactly. it and demonstrate it. Interesting. All right. You know, we're talking about this idea of living an extraordinary life. 
I'd love to hear, like, what do you consider to be an extraordinary life? What does that mean? How does it look? Mm -hmm. You know, in my book, I'm very, very, very clear about this. Extraordinary life doesn't mean you become an entrepreneur or you become a politician or you write the next book. That's BS. And like you said so appropriately at the start of this entire conversation, happiness has a set point, right? So in my book, I say you can decide that you want to be a stay-at-home dad, but you want to dedicate your life to raising your three kids, being the best damn father. And if that's your thing and you're doing it with passion and joy and liking what you do and serving other people, you're leading an extraordinary life because you said it, Mia, 70 to 80% of people in the world today hate their jobs. Only 30% of people are truly happy. And if you decide that you don't care about the title, you don't care about the wealth, you just want to be a really great stay-at-home dad, that's extraordinary in my book. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing about America especially. There is such a powerful narrative that pushes people towards aiming for money and for fame, even though we know, like, from the research, right. that doesn't make us happy. It does sound like another brawl. So that's going to shift. Now, I'm sure many people here are familiar with Maslow's Pyramid, correct? So Abraham Maslow said that there's a hierarchy of human needs, and there was actually tons of wisdom in what Maslow spoke about. If you're in a developing country, you basically need food, you need shelter, you need water. But once you're in the developed world and all of that is taken care of, and you know that you're going to go home today, you're going to be relatively safe, your water is going to run, Instagram is going to be working because you have Wi-Fi, <laughs> now your needs go up, right? Now what you want are the next four levels of needs. Then the first one is love and connection. To be truly extraordinary, you need love and connection. Loneliness is really, really, really hurts. Studies show that loneliness is up 300% in the Western world. And if you feel lonely, it's as bad for you as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day or obesity. So loneliness really hurts because we are a social species. Human beings are different from many other animals. We are not like many mammals. We are more like ants. We are a colony species. If we take any of you and we pluck you out from civilization and dump you in a forest, you'll be dead within a week, <laughs> right? True. We need each other to survive. So there's this part of us that craves human connection. So right at the base level, to truly be extraordinary, build good friendships. Have people you love. Work with other people. You know, be in the presence of people who light you up. That's the first level. Now, the level above that is self-esteem. America is obsessed at this level. This is why we care about the number of Twitter followers. We care about our Instagram followers. This is why we spend so much money on clothes we don't need and shit we don't need, like sports cars and all the other crap that television bombards you with. It's because many Americans, once they get love and connection, they're obsessed with the self-esteem level. The self-esteem level is what commerce has learned to focus on, right? Now, the problem though is, there are better ways to gain self-esteem. And a better way to gain self-esteem is looking for pro-social self-esteem. That means where you raise the self-esteem not just of yourself, but of the people around you. What's an example of that? So when I first became an entrepreneur and my company first took off and I certainly had money. You will remember because you were with me on this day. You, me, and our friend Carl decided to go to a Maserati showroom because we were going to buy a Maserati. That's right. right? I remember. Carl was my business partner. <laughs> right? And I'm, now, I could have bought that Maserati, and Mia was with me on that day. They were shiny. They were shiny, <laughs> and they were beautiful. Hello. And they make this amazing sound, and I could see in my mind, me, Vision, Maserati owner. <laughs> yeah. 
But I decided not to, because for that price of that Maserati, and the Maserati, by the way, would have given me esteem. It would have made me more confident. If I pulled up into a meeting with a potential client, that Maserati would probably boost my credibility, just like a good watch will or whatever. But what I realized is that I was doing it for my self-esteem, but there were better ways to get everything I wanted for that Maserati. So I took that money and I put it into a ridiculously amazing office. Our office just became listed in Inc. Magazine as one of the top 10 most beautiful workplaces in the world. And that do-over cost as much as that Maserati. But now 80 people who work in that office get to benefit. 80 people, when they show up at work, they have a beautiful space to work in. Mm -hmm. Guys at my office bring dates to the office because they know <laughs> that they're more likely to score when their date sees where they work. So everyone's self-esteem goes up, right? And I didn't waste money on a freaking Maserati. And so that's what we mean by pro-social self-esteem. Can we come together to mm. elevate and give meaning, meaning to each other? Amazing. That's the second level. Now, the third level above that is self-actualization. And that means working on yourself. Our souls are not here to just fill a physical human body. Our souls are here to learn and grow. And education is not it. Education is one of the most pretentious things that gets in the way of your actual growth and learning. So it's not the bullshit education that you learn in schools or the BS college degree that you think is gonna help you in life. Real education is wisdom. It's transforming yourself. It's taking on new meanings and new identities and seeing the world in a different way. That's self-actualization. Self-actualization means improving the way you work in terms of your relationships, your health, your wisdom, mindfulness, and so on. That's level three. And level four, when you have all of that, when you have the love and connection, the ties and the tribe around you and people that mean a lot to you and who you matter to, when you have self-esteem, when you feel comfortable and unfuckwithable with yourself and you're also lifting others up, and when you're in a cycle of growth, the pinnacle, and this is where people are gonna be getting to over the next decade or so. Mm. So right now, we're at the level of the world of self-actualization. According to books such as The Transformational Consumer, 51% of Americans rate themselves as transformational consumers. That means you shop at Whole Foods, you care about yoga and wellness <laughs> and meditation, your yoga butt matters to you. But when you get to the level of self-transcendence, you're getting to a new level of human understanding. And American society is about to go in there in 2020. When you get to self-transcendence, it's about going beyond yourself. It's about improving the world. It's not about your yoga butt. It's about getting off your butt and changing the way the world works. We're going to see that in 2020 at the next election because one of the best things that may have happened was the election of Trump. He made us all get off our butts because he is that horrible <laughs> and backward as a form of human consciousness. But I believe his soul is there to light a fire under all of us so we do better. So we are, just as Maslow predicted, going up this pyramid and we're entering the era of self-transcendence to truly be extraordinary. Where you wanna be is to have all of those levels built but then to go beyond, to change the world. That is a beautiful vision for humanity. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your wisdom with us. You know, I really appreciate it for teaching us how to be extraordinary. Thank you so much. Thank you.
So if you enjoyed that episode, check out the Conscious Ish show. You can find it on YouTube. Simply go to YouTube and type in Mia Lux. That's M I A space L U X. Subscribe to a channel. Check it out. She is freaking hilarious. And I know you're going to enjoy her work. Thank you, Mia, for having me on your show. And thank you guys for listening. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.